Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. So that was pretty fun playing euchre with the boys the other night, huh? Yes, that was fun. Yeah. There was a moment during the game when I was trying to decide whether or not to go alone. And since I don't think it would be a safe assumption for us to just believe that all of our listeners know the game of Euchre, and also I don't think it would make for very interesting podcasts to explain the game of Euchre. Yes, please do not. Let's just say that it's a partner's game. and It's a card game. It's a card game. Have Good, partners. We should start with it's yes. a card game, yeah. Yeah, it's a card game where you have partners... There's four players. And if your hand is good enough that you think you can beat the other team all by yourself, you can do what they say, go alone. Yes. And if you win, you get more points for going alone than if you play with your partner. I think yep. that's enough said about going alone. I think that's a good description. So I was I was contemplating whether or not I should go alone, and I was hemming and hawing and going back and forth. And I said, gosh, I just... I don't know. I don't want this to be stupid and to go alone and then lose. And you said, I wrote it down. I've seen you go alone so many times when it was stupid that I've seen you go alone more times when it's stupid than I could possibly count, Matt. (laughs) From your drinking days when we would play cards with friends. Yes. Yes. I would often go alone with Nothing to back you up. I, my cards are awful, but I'm going to go alone. They're all the well. And, Take these chances. In my defense, again, there's only five the cards about euchre, but they were all the same color, so I thought they were probably good. You couldn't tell a spade from a club or a heart from a diamond. It was right. red or black. That's, that's all you right. knew. And I could have yep. five nines, which is technically impossible. <laughs> impossible in a deck of cards. And I would think I was going to go alone. Yep, that's why I hated being your partner. So your dumb drunken mistakes. You that was so it was fun to play when uh, and I did go alone and we did win that hand. So I just thought I'd throw a little humble brag in there or just braggy brag. You kicked my team's butt. That's for sure. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I think we got one point and you got all ten. So well, so that's what I wanted to say about the game. It is a lot more fun to play euchre when you know what's going on. When <laughs> you're, you're aware of... <laughs> when you're conscious enough to pay attention. Yeah. And... Who's lead? What's Trump? Yeah. yeah. It was like I was back in the days of like watching you play when you were drunk and all the rest of us were sober or just having, you know, a slight buzz from alcohol. That was exhausting, reminding you where we were in every hand, multiple times in every hand. Yeah. Who led? Who's got it? What's Trump? Who's my partner? Where are my pants? <laughs> you don't have a shirt on half the time by the night's over. So and let's not say we, you were you were not at prime physical peak at age thirty. Listen, everyone else is playing regular euchre and I'm playing strip, strip theater, euchre. Just trying to encourage You did try to encourage strip euchre, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, it was a lot more fun to play when I knew what was going on, but Boy, when you when you made that joke about how I've done stupid things when playing Euchre more times than you could count, it made me think about, you know, Euchre wasn't the only place that I did stupid things when I was drinking, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. I did other stupid things, too. Uh, yeah, lots of stupid things. And over time, I feel like the many stupid things that I did just made you 
kind of grow to hate all of my ideas, all of my suggestions. Like if, you know, if, if I would come up with the next little harebrained plan for, I don't know, anything, what we were going to do career-wise, something as serious as that, or, uh, you know, we're going to build a tree house in the backyard in that little flimsy little birch tree we've got or whatever, just, and that, that's a bad example, but yes, I, I had lots of stupid ideas. Yes, because of repetitive um, exposure I had to your dumb ideas, Yes, no matter how small or big they were, I was very much opposed to any idea you had. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. I'm glad you said that. What? So why? Was it just... Because, I mean, pretty much anything I suggested, you looked down upon. Was it because of all the mistakes I made, or was it just because I was drunk and arrogant a lot of the times? I think it had to be a combination of everything. Like, so what's the everything? That... They were not, a lot of your thoughts were not followed through. You didn't have a whole lot of evidence to back them up. There were not these what if scenarios or how are you going to manage that? Why are we doing this? And then if they would be like dinner plans or meeting up with people or hosting a party, just even a fun little get together, all of it I knew had to be somehow related to your entertainment and overconsumption of alcohol and be damned to me and my entertainment from before we had kids all the way up to the point of us having kids. Like, I remember sitting, like, this is going way back, but we went to Mardi Gras one year. No kids. We, it was this year 2000. We did our little tour of thing, major events in some cities that we wanted to go to. Went to Mardi Gras, flew into your high school buddy's house or his apartment. We stayed the night. We got, all of us got drunk, I'm sure, the night before. I wake up and it's like 8 o'clock in the morning, 7.30 in the morning. You guys have gone off to play golf. And you're gone the entire day. That's one reason I'm not a fan of golfer and I golfing because it's all day. Right. But also not only did you, you know, you took a break. You had your beers. You lingered on the golf. You were having a great time with your friend, which I totally respect. But his girlfriend spent the night and she didn't wake up until like 1 p.m. I'm in this how in this apartment. I have no idea where anything is. It's not like this is a place that has a pool. I'm just sitting there. There's no TV. This is the this is before smartphones. I did not bring a book. They didn't have a TV. No. That's weird. He had a TV in his bedroom. Oh. No where, TV where in the living room where she was sleeping. Oh yeah, that'd be hard. Yeah. Should have oh. come golfing with us. I know I would have been a hell of a lot better. At least I'd have been like the sober. I mean, I, you know, and I was just so livid that like there was never any consideration to what I was going to do the next day while you were off golfing. And I mean, you did not get back until like 630 that night. Wow. You know, most of the time when we tell stories on this podcast, they are resentments that we've already worked through and that I've heard about. And so they don't take me by surprise. This one takes me by surprise. I don't even remember. I remember... Oh, we got Staying into a at his fight house about... before we went to Mardi Gras, but yeah. I don't remember playing golf. I don't remember you being stuck at home. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because we got into a really fabulous argument about it after our first night in Louisiana, after we drove from Atlanta to um, New, New Orleans. Orleans. And uh, 
It was an okay drive. It was fine. It wasn't. And then I started drinking. I remember that. I started drinking. You started drinking. I said something about how it was shitty of you, and I was really upset about it. And then it just then it just got ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting, but <laughs> a little different than what we're, we were talking about. Sorry. That's okay. We were t- we were talking about why you hated my ideas. But that feeds in, right? But they were just My all selfish and gonna stupid. Most, I mean, fly selfish. in here. They were going to drive over here. Yeah. Oh, by the way, we're going to play golf real quick. And yeah, you got like, hosed on that whole deal. Yeah. And like, what? I mean, I know there are airports in Mississippi and Louisiana and Texas that would have been a lot closer than Atlanta, but you wanted to go so you could incorporate your seeing your friend, which totally fine with. But it was just, it was so self centered yeah. and not thought out. Self-centered, arrogant, yeah. Was that a big part of the reason that you didn't like my ideas? I mean, I sometimes, know I was, sometimes I had a big they were a little, ego. I thought I was right all the yeah, time. Yeah, sometimes they were a little uh, arrogant, I suppose, because they weren't thought out and they weren't like planned really well. Or you just thought it doesn't matter because I'll make it happen. I'll make it work. How about this one? I would come up with new ideas, stuff that we should do, from as simple as. A vacation to much bigger. This is the way we should do our life from now on. We're going to change careers and blah, 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 blah. So from big or little, I would come up with a new idea. And I feel like looking back, I was mismanaging the status quo. I wasn't doing particularly well with the way it was. So why would you get excited about doing something new? Well, and that was... Was that a feeling you had? Well, that was another thing is like, you can't even manage this life yeah you can't even like not over drink every single weekend and this is i mean this is well before we had kids so where do you think you're going to come up with this plan and why should i have any respect or appreciation for your ideas when you can't even live a simple life you talk does about, that make sense yeah you talk about how this was before kids you're actually just making me now for the first time think about the fact that when we were deciding that we were going to have kids, I wouldn't say that you were were indecisive on whether or not you wanted to have kids. I mean, maybe, maybe there was a time <clears throat> when you weren't sure, but I felt like once we decided to have kids that you were on board with that and you wanted to have kids, you were just, you were really cautious. You wanted to do a bunch of reading. You want to read all the books and and I was more like, hey, we can do this. We're just wing it. You know, we'll have good instincts. And I'm realizing now, maybe for the first time, that was that was your caution about that? Because not so much that you didn't trust your own instincts, but you didn't trust me, did you? Um, like when I, I would Maybe wanna... I guess I was reading for two, <laughs> for three. I, I don't know. I guess I just felt like I needed more preparation. And I... I mean, my sister is older than I am. She had her kids fairly young. So I was in high school when she had her two boys. So I was around kids, you know, and I remember like being sent to my friend's house because my sister was in labor and it was her first child. She was at our house with her husband and they're counting contractions. And when it time's getting closer and they have to drive a half an hour to the hospital, I go over to my friend neighbor's house and, you know, and spend the night there and, um... So I feel like I had that sort of stuff and my sister needed our help with the kids and, you know, when they were first born and then she got a divorce. So I babysat a lot and, you know, so I feel like I had that sort of 
capabilities of knowing that, but then just all the in all the details and like what if this? What is pregnancy like? What is it like having a newborn? You know, I read a lot of books like that. It more in preparation for the birth in the first few months, and then I felt like then we'd fall into a routine. And then when I had questions about stuff, I would definitely ask our doctor and read books on behaviors of newborns and infants. And were you worried about my participation in the whole thing I, before we even had kids? I was not worried. I knew that you really liked kids. Like I had a cousin who had a baby. Um, and you just were so good and so fun with them. And you were really great with my nephews. You met them when you were in middle school. You were coaching kids and soccer in college. And I just felt... And your sister had a baby. Had okay, their so, first, you were more, so I was not worried about your participation level. So your the tenacity with which you did the research and read the books and figured out all the stuff was legitimately just because you were... You wanted to do it right, and you you didn't feel like winging it was the way to go. Right. It wasn't at that point. It wasn't because you know I had this stupid idea that we have kids, and and you didn't trust me. It wasn't right. That. No, it wasn't okay. anything like that. Okay, but when it comes to me doing stupid things and you hating my ideas, what about the fact that I was often mean to you when I drank? I said mean things. I feel like when I would bring a new idea to you, I feel like part of the reason that you would reject it right away was because I had been mean to you, so you kind of wanted to be mean back. Yeah. Is there a part of that? Yeah, maybe. I think it came more of lack of respect for you because I feel like I lost respect for you pretty early on in our relationship Mm -hmm. in a lot of regards. Kind of like how I lost trust in some of the things you did. Not completely, not everything, I could trust you financially. I could trust you not to cheat, no matter how drunk you were. Um, but I had lost a lot of respect for you. And because I felt, and I didn't realize this until then, I always felt like you were a very self-serving person and you were selfish. So anything you wanted to do had to benefit Matt Salis, hands down, all the time. And who cares about anybody else? So I would look at it like, you haven't even considered this, or you haven't considered that, and you certainly haven't considered me. Yeah. Understood. Um, lack of respect, I get that. But, but I don't know if it was any necess- retaliation? I don't feel like it was a retaliation. You know what I mean thing? to me, so I'm going to... I mean, maybe that was later your on. idea, because... Maybe it was jerk. a lot later on, like, especially when it would come... To when we owned our own business with the bakery, I felt like I would make suggestions and you would poo-poo them because, you know, you're the one that's in there all the time. You're the doing the number crunching. You know how the, the trend of customers go and, you know, and I'm like, but I'm the consumer and as a consumer, this is what I would want. And you're right. like, no, 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 you're wrong. So then sometimes I think that would be retaliation because I felt like then that was an opportunity that we could be partners and I feel like we were never partners there hmm. until maybe like the very end I okay sort of liked working with you Hmm. you know yeah because I just felt like maybe that was a bit of retaliation because I had been shut down on a lot of stuff and I feel like you didn't want my input on um displays and you thought I was silly about my stocking and you know yeah I, I definitely had a lack of respect for your opinion just um 
arrogance, ignorance, all of it. I have a ton more respect for your opinion on everything now. Maybe it's because I've learned how to listen and have appreciation. Whereas with all that arrogance, I just thought I was right. Pretty terrible. But so every time I would bring a new idea to you, whether it was, again, work-related or fun-related or whatever, I just knew I was going to meet opposition. Whether we ended up doing it my way or we didn't, I knew it was going to be a fight. And you were going to be negative and poo-poo whatever it was I brought to you. And I think that's a, a good list of reasons why. All of them, every single one of them related to my drinking. Whether it was my stupid decisions, uh, not handling the status quo particularly well, um, or just not considering you and only thinking about myself, uh, I knew I was going to meet negativity from you. And the reason I want to talk about that today is because it's so different now, and refreshingly so. Oh, can I just interject? Please do. One thing. I also think that I was very hesitant to change because I, like, if it would be a new idea about your drinking or not drinking or or about doing something differently within the house. I felt like, I've got a system. Yeah. This is what I can control. This is what I can handle. And you're adding something else to my plate. I can't deal with that change. And I think that was something that happened later in life or later in our relationship as we had more responsibilities with more kids and your drinking was getting worse and worse. And there was just more risk. That's very common, I think, to be resistant to change. I think humans are naturally resistant to change. Yeah. So so no matter what my idea was, you almost didn't even want to hear it because it was going to be different and you didn't want to hear it. It was going to be disruptive or, you know, it was going to be disruptive and there was going to be more work on my end, like a vacation or a weekend away or, you know, all of it was going to be more work for me and party time for you. Yeah. So, Sorry. No, please don't be sorry. But you're saying things are different now. Well, that's good. I mean, I really feel like now... So that was a kind of a negative start to this discussion, but this discussion is really a positive one because it's different. You you are listening and eager and interested, and when I suggest things now, you're like, you know, where I would first explain my idea and then I would brace myself for the negative response... The first thing out of your mouth is usually, oh, that's a good idea, but what if we did this on top of it? Or what if, you know, boy, I like where you're going. How about if we did that, but but just took it a little bit different direction? Just, it's like a conversation. It's like a positive, directed conversation. I know it's it's kind of hard to understand without being at least a little bit concrete. So I would offer just this, you know, this concrete example of of what I'm talking about we've we've been talking a lot recently about our plan to hold things like couples retreats so we do a lot of stuff online by zoom our our groups our echoes of recovery and shout sobriety marriage evolution groups are online by zoom but there's definitely something to meeting in person and it's a it's a much bigger commitment on our side uh, to put live events together. And it's a huge commitment on behalf of the people that participate to travel to Denver to participate in these things. And so talk about, you know, you said before that any change was not welcome for a while because you just wanted to stay with what you were doing. You didn't want anything added to your plate. 
all of these discussions that we've had about couples retreats and echoes of recovery retreats and things like that, it's going to massively disrupt the status quo and add a ton of, ton of work and, and put us into uncharted territory. And the fact that you have received these suggestions with suggestions of your own on top of it. And yeah, let's not only do that, but let's look at it this way. And maybe this is a good idea. And I've just been really pretty surprised, and but pleasantly so. Well, it's because I have a sober spouse to work with. I have a sober spouse that I can play devil's advocate as we're working through things and you won't take it offensively. I also feel like I have a sober spouse who will be respectful of my ideas on top of it instead of it just has to be your way or the highway. Because it's not like... There were lots of times I brought suggestions up in the past and you just wanted nothing to do with any of them. Yeah. Like, they just weren't even things that were feasible. And I was not going to play that game, plant a seed and let him come up with it. And by dripping and drabbing little hints all throughout, I was not going to play that game with you. So there were oftentimes I was shut down. So I feel like now you're more receptive. And if I do question some of it, it's a discussion. It's a respectful discussion. I thought it was just because I'm better at euchre now. But You're so these, impressive at Euchre. Yeah, so now we can do any any of my ideas. Yeah. But no, I think that's a really good point. When I thought I had all the answers and didn't want to hear any suggestions from you, when you were constantly being shut down, whether I had been drinking or not been drinking, just when your ideas are being shut down kind of out of hand without even being considered, I mean, that's got to make you... Again, I'm using the word retaliate. Maybe that's the wrong word. And maybe it is. And it's not an intentional retaliation. It's an unconscious retaliation. But, you know, so maybe it is like an unconscious retaliation that I was doing. What What did you say before that? Before you said that your ideas are being considered now and that makes the discussion pleasant and one that you're willing and eager to have? There's something you said right before that. I know. I said that I have a sober husband to do it with. So, you know, I know that I have somebody who's going to be helping along with whatever event we're doing. Does that reduce the likelihood that it's just a harebrained, stupid idea to begin with? Like, do you have more confidence in the fact that I have more confidence in your thought process. That it's just not something you thought about in the the shower. Because I don't know if you remember, but for a long time, you used to come out of the shower and say, Oh my gosh, I was just in the shower and I had a thought. What about this? I'm like, oh, it's a shower thought. Okay. So there's no time and energy put into it. And, you know, it's not like you take super long showers. So. Yeah. I think that I was just talking about how if if I did, not contradict, but if I did play devil's advocate about something that, with your plan or your thought, then you weren't. You don't get defensive. Oh. Like you you let me explain. That's important. Because I think that's, I think, something when you are planning a big event or a vacation or whatever, I think it's always good to have somebody that's looking at it at a different angle or might think of other things that you wouldn't think of. The patience that comes naturally with long-term sobriety plays a huge role in that. Absolutely. Right right before we started recording this podcast, we were talking about an aspect of this this retreats and you know and long term plans. These long term plans. And I talked about, you know, we could do it this way and then we'd speed things up and you countered quickly and said, I don't want to do that and here's why. 
And I said, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And we moved on. And you're right. When I was a drinker, whether I was actively drinking or alcohol was just part of my life, I didn't have that kind of patience. If I suggested we speeded, sped something up, speeded something up? Sped. If I suggested we sped something up, like I was suggesting it because it was already done in my head. Mm -hmm. There was no, well, let's stick to the original timeline, Matt. Uh Uh-uh. I just didn't have the patience. I didn't have the patience. You know, it's it's the immaturity that comes with active alcoholism, the emotional immaturity, and uh, the emotional just no patience. Yeah, and emotional immaturity to not be able to handle rejection and 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 see somebody else's point of view, because again, I'm going to say it, it's selfish. You know, you're trying to protect your ideas because you feel like we were rallied against one another. If I would come to you and say, you know, this plan that we've talked about and we're going to do it over this course, this here's the timeline that we've discussed. I'd like to cut that timeline in half. If I said that to you before, back when I was a drinker, I wasn't suggesting that from the standpoint of being interested in what your opinion is. I really want your support or I'd like to hear if you disagree. By the time those words came out of my mouth, like you said, I didn't respect your opinion. So it wasn't a matter of considering your opinion and let's discuss it. It was a matter of me convincing you. Yeah. And that's way different. I used to bring things to you solidly done in my head and now all I got to do is convince her that I'm right. And like that's how I would think about it. That's so despicable really. Mm-hmm. But I would say, let's talk about this, Sherry. Let's have a discussion. I've got an idea. But in reality, I had no interest in a discussion. All I knew was I was smart enough that I could talk you into it. And I just had to figure out the right words to say to convince you that I was right. And that, I mean, that's a really, I mean, it was hard for you, right? It was hard for you to be on the receiving end of that. But it's a really hard way for me to have lived, too. I've got this partner, this person that I've signed on with that we're going to spend our life together and we're going to work together to get things done and raise kids and and make the make this wonderful life together. But really, I have no interest in you being a participant in the decision making. It's just it's almost combative. All this is for me is how many words, how many hours, how many angles I'm going to have to come at this from to convince you that I'm right. And I think there were times that it even would lead us down the road to arguments. And there would be lots of nasty words said that you would fuel me up. But you also knew that I would, you know, say nasty, vile things back. And then there would be remorse. And then I would be, like, broken, essentially. And I'd be like, okay, whatever you think. Yeah. Because that would be the only way I could convince you that I was sorry. Yeah. By giving in. What a terrible way to live. Makes me really disgusted. And also, what a common way to live mm-hmm. in alcoholism. I mean, it's sad, but we know for sure we're not the only ones that okay. experience that. Break each other down and to get what you want. Yeah, sadly. It's awful. You know, in addition to just kind of anything, whether it's what are we going to do for vacation this summer or... I've got this new plan for where we need to take the recovery work we're doing. Um, besides, you know, it, 
I want to be more specific. When we talk specifically about finances, which is a trigger point for all couples, all married couples have to deal with finances, whether they've got $10 million and they're trying to decide whether to buy a new yacht or not, or if they're living a middle-class life like we are, you've all got financial pressure. It's very interesting to me lately when we have to have a financial discussion. We've talked on this podcast quite often about your side of it, where if you go to the orthodontist with one of the kids and you come back and say, oh, we got another one that needs braces, that's going to be five grand. Back when I was drinking, that could set me off very easily. I could get really frustrated. It could cause an argument. It could be a big blow up. And so you would tiptoe around and try to pick and choose your time to sit down and talk to me about the need for braces. And so that's just not a very comfortable way to live when you're trying to walk on eggshells and figure out when you can or cannot communicate with your spouse. That's pretty awful. So that part, when we talk about finances, has long been uncomfortable for you and is much better now. Is that safe to say? Yes, it is. And also I think because I was so worried about approaching you about it because I knew that there could be a bad reaction. I became tense and so my energy probably wasn't very good that you were picking up on. You were picking up on the tension, the negative energy. So it kind of like, uh, without words, fed off of each other before it even landed. So now I just say things on the podcast because I know I can't get a reaction. And you're like, oh, the freezer, the refrigerator's freezing. So put that on your list of new appliances we need. That's pretty good. Oh, the fan, it's not just the convection oven point. The fan is just going all the time, sometimes making that terrible sound, even on bake. When, That's uh, for real. When I lost $1,200 gambling in Las Vegas and you your debit card got declined at Blockbuster Video when you were trying to rent a movie because I had withdrawn so much money from our from the ATM in Las Vegas I remember I told you about that explained it to you at O'Hare Airport so that there were lots of witnesses so you couldn't go completely ape shit on me when you found out how much money I had lost it was at the smaller So airport. now instead of the airport you just do it on the podcast yeah, exactly. because you know how much I hate editing and I don't want to go Cut an argument out. So no, this is just free flowing. Just free flowing. Whatever we Can't say get a makes it. No, no, I do feel more comfortable because I feel like we can laugh about it in a lot of ways. It's not like we have any more money. It's just now you have, we have a better sense of humor yeah. about things like this because we know that that's life and there is a maturity with age and then the lack of drinking. So there's that side of it, which we've discussed before, that my reaction is going to be better and your trust that my reaction is going to be better is there now, and that's a much more pleasant way to live. But there's another side to couples' finances, to married finances, that's much better. You seem to trust what I have to say when we try to talk about not just the present, but the future. You, for a long time, were very skeptical if I would say, you know, oh, our house, for instance, it's going to appreciate in value. You know, you you would shoot that down and say, I don't even want to talk about, you know, money that doesn't exist yet. Um, you don't know that that's going to happen. And I think you were just jaded and didn't trust me. And I had a bad track record. And I had said so many things that didn't turn out to be true that that was very negative. Whereas now I feel like if we talk about uh, finance is kind of the bigger picture, not just we need to get braces, but here's the long-term plan. You have a lot more, like you're a lot more willing to listen to what I have to say and not just 
shoot me down and and treat me like I'm I'm an idiot. And I think that's so. Not only are the you know there's a there's the tactical and there's the strategic. The tactical is we got to get braces, and the strategic is what's going to happen for the next twenty years. Those conversations are a lot more pleasant too. Yes. Well, seem like you're fighting just, back some laughter over just, there. Resign myself to the fact that we'll never have retirement, so it will not be a full retirement. And we already kind of had an experience with the bakery because you used to say things like, "When we sell it." Oh yeah. Well, we did that, and this isn't how it all worked out. So, yeah. Lesson learned, but you know now we feel like we're on the right path. Whatever. You know. Okay. So then, why are you so much more pleasant and congenial and nice to talk to when I talk long term? Now, if it isn't, if I've still got a bad track record and you still don't trust me, I'm, well, that you became a lot more humble. Hmm. And you figured it out. You figured out what you were going to do career-wise. You know, like, I don't know. Maybe you've just, I know it was like three years ago we had to close the bakery and, and things just didn't wrap up in that the way we wanted. Yeah. You know, we didn't make the grandiose amount of, of cash as we thought we were going to have. We didn't sell it off like we thought. So... Maybe there was some humbleness and some ingenuity, and there was a lot more thoughtfulness, I guess, in your process for what was the next stage of your career, where I had never really seen you do that before. Is this an area where I'm not mean to you anymore, so maybe you aren't mean to me? I don't know. We'll just call it that. Like... <laughs> no, I don't. You're just so much more pleasant to talk to nowadays. Thanks. Yeah, it's a huge compliment. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I feel like you, you just, just don't seem so skeptical. Yeah. Well, and and I guess, you know, and that was kind of traumatic because I felt like I was very worried and it was nerve wracking. I'm not going to say that the, the ending of our bakery career was not nerve wracking. It was very scary. But you had a better kind. You didn't have an arrogance. You had confidence. And you also said to me, like, I'll do whatever it takes, like. I'll be a postman during the days and work here. Drive. Try, I don't know. Oh, we'll I would figure. Love to be a postman. You know, we'll figure something out. Something will happen to make the writing and the nonprofit work. So, and it did. And there's a lot of you know money to be had for like our food work that we do with schools. You know, I I also feel like you used to hate it when we had to work together. And now you, I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth and I don't want to be arrogant. I would like to remain humble, please. But it almost seems like you enjoy it when we're working together. Most of the time I do. That is crazy. I can't believe that. I mean, I know that there are are times where it's very tense and um, I know I can, with my church work, like I can't really tell you what I need you to do to help me out because it's a, I have blueprints in my head and I never have a plan. I just see how it falls when it's like, you know, making the set design and decorating for vacation Bible school. But you're very receptive to whatever, you know, I kind of make you, makes me think of your Carrie Elways in the Princess Bride, whatever you wish or like his line. You're like, when he's the farm boy. character. The Princess Bride. Oh, the... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. The farm boy? His name is Carrie Elway? That's the actor, yeah. The farm boy. That becomes the hero. Yes. Yes. 
And I feel like you have showed that to me before, but I always felt like it was you were judging me like she doesn't know what she's doing here. No, but. when it comes to helping you with Vacation Bible School, which is actually coming up here in a couple of months, um, I, w- I want nothing to do with the decisions that you have to make and and like you said, set design and figuring out where stuff goes. So I am happy to just be grunt labor Yes, in those but I, I, I just feel like I feel more comf- confident and comfortable that you, you know that, yes, I'm going to be a wreck. I'm not going to be able to tell you what I want. Yes, I'm going to like true. point and grunt and be like not saying words because yes. I'm like, I, I can't explain it. It's just in my head and well, I have this is accurate. to be visionary and you're just like patiently waiting there. You know, yeah. whereas I always felt like I was holding you up, but I know that Well, there's... I wanted to go home and drink. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say I never drank in the church, but uh, I don't think I ever drank while I was helping you get ready for vacation Bible school. So yeah. that's another place where my impatience would come and I'd, I'll just tell me how you want it or I'll just do it myself, blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. So I think there are times where we have stressful events where, but, but you're, you're right. I don't more mind. patient with me yeah. when I, well, I'm you know, trying to get I'm, to my beer. Well, and I feel like. I can be more patient with you. Like before we had the trailer for some of the food pickups, like I'm like, I have stuff on my lap because there's no more place in my car to bring the food to the food bank at the schools. And I would be like, okay, I'm going to try to grin and bear it because I know that this is as stressful for him as it is for me because it's, it's great that we have this food to bring. It's more than what our two cars could hold. But we're doing the right thing. And why throw it back in your face that it didn't work? I mean, one time I had to go pick up something that you said would fit for sure. And I was like, I'm going to make this work in one trip. And I had to strap things to the top of the car. Had to strap food to the top of the car. Boxes of food to the top of the car. Oh, it'd be much a better, better picture if it was like butterball turkeys. <laughs> yeah. Like bungee corded bungee to, the, corded top to the, the top. Yeah. That would have been great. Yeah, so, you know, we talk a lot about how how hard it is to regain trust, but how regain trust is the road to intimacy. You can't have intimacy until you've gotten the trust back. And that's true. But there's also smaller, less kind of super-duper important things that come back when you get the trust back. Increased trust or rebuilt trust also leads to just those mundane, working together peacefully things, whether it's work work or work around the house or kids work. I know in the past, when we differed on the way to handle something with the kids, for instance, it would cause a fight between us most of the time. If I was too stern with the kids, you know, you that would really upset you. And you would defend them and you didn't like the way I was handling it. And if you were uh, allowing them to make their own decisions about things when I thought you just needed to tell them the way it was going to be and they get them to move on with it, that would cause a fight in the other direction. But I feel like both of us, it's much better as it relates to, you know, if 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 you're saying something to the kids and, and I think, hey, maybe that should be a little different, you're much more receptive to listening to what I have to say. And I hope, I think, I'm much more receptive to the fact that your way is better in many, many cases as well. Do you feel that way with with the kids as well? I do. I mean, we even had an example 
like that happened between us <laughs> recently with our older son, our oldest son, and I don't remember exactly what it was about, but it was something about timing and you were kind of frustrated and I felt like it was a little bit ridiculous to be frustrated about it. And I just said, you know, I don't, this is putting me in a bad mood and it's not going to matter in the long run. Let's just drop it. It was something small. I don't, I don't know. I just, I just remember saying that because I felt like I can say this and this is okay because I should be able to be free to say this conversation about this timing issue and whether he should be punished or not when it's a, when it was a miscommunication between he and I and you, like it's making, you know, it was tense, getting tense between us or it was putting me in a, in a position where I felt a little defensive. And I'm like, but in the long run, it's not going to matter. And I think we do nothing about it and we stop talking about it. And the reason I think that this stuff is so important is because when we take the anger out of the equation, when we take the anger out of the relationship, there's just more possibilities whether we're talking about big things, big future things, or we're talking about what we're going to have for dinner, or do we want to go on a hike this weekend, just it doesn't matter what it is, or it's something with the kids. When the anger is gone, there's just more possibilities, more possibilities to work it out peacefully and more possibilities to, to have positive outcomes. Mm-hmm. You and I spent a lot of years removing the opportunity for positive outcome just because of the anger and frustration that existed between us, which made us bad communicators. And, you know, just it put unnecessary limits on us. And now I feel like there are no limits. We can do anything we want to. Just just like my third grade teacher told me. (laughs) We can do anything we want to. Except be an astronaut. Yeah, well, we won't be an astronaut. That's probably (laughs) gone. That's probably gone. But if we want to, we can go play some more Euchre right now. <laughs> and I can go alone. Maybe I'm going to have to go alone to play Euchre. You don't <laughs> Maybe. think you want to right now. Yeah, I got bigger. I got different plans. All right, well. I don't want to get my butt kicked again. <laughs> that's right. My that's partner's not that great in this house. Oh, it's your partner. My other partner. Well, at least you've got someone to blame it on. <laughs> well, I know I did. I knew my mistakes. Well, thank you for being an open-minded, positive part of my life and someone that it's fun to talk to about big things and the little things now. Much better than the old way. Absolutely. Love you. Love you. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.